Golight presents Murder Most Irish. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I just turned it off because it's only meant to be on for like, last night I fell asleep with it on. And you're only meant to leave it on for like 10 hours, I think. It's not meant to be on long, and I had it on the entire day. Do you love it? I love it. I love it. Just like, it's my room, like a green glow. I love it. Oh yeah, it does, yeah. I love it. I really, really like yeah. it. Lily was like, where's the arm? Oh no! She's a fucking little shit. She was like, where's our lava lamp? I was like, I just went to her, Lily, you are a weird hoarder. <laughs> And you need to I'm going to send you to therapy To figure out what's going on now Oh bless her She's a weird hoarder Emma She's like a dad she's got re- Yeah but like she's bad mm. she, like, I was giving away clothes the other day Because she's growing out of them I'm she upset that you were she giving them like, away She was like why are you giving away my clothes I was like I think that's You like, can't wear them <clears throat> That's an anxiety thing They're that's, too yeah. small for you It's like oh something I know is leaving And it's very She can't deal with it Hear me I'm not a therapist I don't know It could be anything like what they're Kids are weird. You fucking stupid bitch. No. Oh, I'm sorry. If she wants to take it back. No, she'll take it back. No problem. Like, it's honestly. not even hers. I said to her, what do you mean, where's your lava lamp? And she was like, what? I was like, that's dad's. <laughs> that's dad's lava lamp. But in her From head, she was like. Before we went out. Before, but in her head, she's like, no, that is my lava like, lamp. She's like, mm, okay. So I feel like her. me and Graham are quite similar uh, teenagers. Yeah, he had a lava lamp in his room. He had a big old laptop. Yeah. I feel like tons we're both of books, like, yeah. DVDs. He was really into like the X Files and stuff like he was that. Having like, weird wankings, like I sessions. Weird, I didn't have weird wankings. To sessions. weird sex. No, I didn't do that. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. I was very repressed, but yeah, I think being Graham, he was super somewhere. repressed because that didn't happen until like he was like much older. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that wasn't actually happening in his Poor teenage years. He didn't know what was going on with his penis. Sarah. Although Paula oh, listens Graham. to this and she'd probably be like, eh. Because Paula listens but to this. She'd probably be like, you're right. You're dead right. Everything you said is correct and right. Does Paula listen to this? Yeah, Paula oh, listens okay. to the podcast. Mm. Um, Welcome to this week's episode. This is episode 102. 102, baby. They said we'd never do it. Boop, 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 boop. 99, baby. I don't know who they are. Do you think we have enemies? Mm. Do you think? Here's what I was thinking the other day, right? Tell me. So I was thinking the other day uh, about these girls that I, used, that I was in school with who didn't like me and were really mean to me. But oh, I, I'll kill no, them. no, no. But I bet they don't think that they were really mean to me. I always think that. I bet they don't think that they were mean to me, but they were. They were like really mean to me. But I was also, I was thinking like, have they ever stumbled upon my podcast and been like that fucking dope? I was just thinking that the other day. I was like, I, was, I wonder has anybody seen our, our like you know, come across the podcast and been like, oh my God, her? The depths really? of your Oh, I know, I know, but I just was thinking and I was like, you know, people that like... Oh, I, but in that moment where you like, and what? No. Oh. I was immediately like, oh God. Because I was thinking, <laughs> I'm not friends with anybody that I was in school with. Yeah. Like, I'm not. Um, I wouldn't be close to anybody that I went to school with. I kind of, it was my fault. I kind of just, when I moved to Dublin, I just distanced myself and I'm like, it was a whole thing that I did that my first therapist gave out to me for and I was and then he tried to get me to read poems that no. Nelson Mandela wrote and I was like this is not therapy I will read a poem he's always like, trying to get me. he was up on the wall and he'd be like read that end of every session 
I'm what? like, yeah, that's what you want me to do. This is like an affirmation for yeah. him. Yeah, let me read Nelson Mandela poem, and I was like, I don't want to do this. But I'm um, like, I have nothing in common with Nelson. No, Mandela. because I was so fucking insane and sick that I was like, I'll just read the poem from. Total people pleaser. But yeah, I was wondering like people that I went to school, not that I made an impact on anybody, but people that I went to school with, especially secondary school. I'm like, if any of them like, How were they mean to you? Tell me what they did. They were just really mean to me. Like I always felt like I wasn't bullied per se in school, but I was always like the weird fat kid. I was always that. And then I got like lost tons of weight when I was in like fifth class. I wonder why. Or fifth year. When I was in fifth year, I lost like fucking tons of weight. And, uh, you know, I would... <laughs> Okay, this is going to sound terrible. But because obviously I lost tons of weight, boys started paying attention to me. And then they did not like that. Because oh. they were like the skinny girls and the popular girls that got along. And I, did, I didn't have any male friends. My friends were female. That was it. I got along with my... I like There was a group of four of us and we were very close. And that was it. I didn't have male friends in school. You can... I mean, the exact same now. But um, yeah, they, they were just really mean to me. They would make comments about how I looked. And just like, just not nice to me. They were And it was always this thing where... They thought, like, I think they thought I was stupid that I didn't know what they were doing. But I did know what they were doing. Like, I knew that they were being, like... They were making shit of you. Making shit of me and then trying to be like, oh, hey, like, that shit. And I was, I was like, I know you don't like me. Why are you talking to me? Um, And they were friends with all the boys. So then the boys didn't like me either and stuff. But I often wonder, like, what would any of them see this and be like, that one? Ugh. I don't... May, like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But also, maybe they... Oh, no. that's the thing and people grow and, and they change and I get like I think you're right like most people who did that shit in school don't understand mm. like they don't want like it's really difficult to own up to like terrible things to hurting done. somebody yeah Um. so I'd say they probably under like play it off but like that's the like I had a relatively easy time in school mm. but for no other reason than I was just like fucking oblivious to everything yeah, I wish I was like that. I just didn't give a shit. Yeah, I wish I was And then I was that. like, I would make myself... No, actually, I wouldn't. I was going to say I'd make myself the brunt of the joke, but I didn't love myself too much. Yeah, I kind of wish I... I always wish... I, I always say if I could go back, people are like, if you could go back and change anything, what would you change? And I always say I would go back and change my level of confidence that I had. I would like to have gone back, I mean, like, been just a little bit more confident, like a teeny tiny little bit more confident. Yeah, like, you know, I had none. Well, I had confidence, but it was like, most of it was fake. But that's the thing, they do say fake till you make it, right? Yeah, right? So, like, most of it was fake, and internally I was like, like, to a degree, in secondary school, but like, so I knew in primary school, sixth class, we had, I had my first male teacher I had ever had, and when I say it threw me for a loop. Really? I knew there and then I was going to an all girls all girls school. I was like, "Fuck this shit." Yeah. Um. So I didn't have to deal with like, <gasps> excuse me. Yeah, okay. I didn't have to deal with boys in school, and I had ze- like always up like never in the history of my life have I ever like wanted the male gaze. And I was the exact same in school. Like I didn't care about boys. I didn't have my first kiss till I was eighteen. Yeah. Like, so like I had no interest in uh, my their first kiss was or their, sixteen. Their love or like oh I wish that boy fa- that was that did yeah. not exist in my yeah. Do you ever watch like TV shows of like kids in like high school and secondary school and they're so obsessed with boys and I was like. This literally, I feel well, nothing towards Well, all of those things this. never connected with me. So, like, you know those types, like, of Angus tongs and... Yeah, 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 like, all that I stuff. Like, I just couldn't relate to any of that no. stuff. Um, but I was a weirdly, like... And I still <clears> am <throat> a quiet, weird, hopeless romantic to myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm not. But... I'm the opposite of that. Anyway, I suppose, yeah, I... 
if people were mean to me, I just was like, fuck off. To me, it's like, I don't feel that about myself, but for Colin, I'm like, I hope they see how much he's thriving and how well he's done for himself and what a good person he is and how many people fucking love him. That's what I hope for Colin because he had a terrible time in school. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but like he was unmercifully bullied in school, like horrific shit. And when I think about Colin, I'm like, I hope, and Colin's so kind, like Colin forgives everybody. Like Colin forgave, fully forgave one of his bullies that made his like misery for like five years. Like met him in a pub a while ago and chatted to him and was like, hey man, how's it go? Like Colin is just such a big heart and he forgave him. But I do truly hope that every single person that made Colin's life a misery is, can see what he's done for himself and how loved he is and how many friends he has and like how well he's doing. That's what I hope for him. And no, all of it, that's all I think about. I'm like, I hope you fuckers see but you know I never saw and maybe I was really really oblivious to it but I never saw anybody get bullied in school really oh I saw so many people getting no, bullied no not in secondary school so many people getting bullied like so that many people that makes me worry that maybe I was bullying no but like I there was a guy in our class that people used to bully I think honestly I'm going like I'm, I'm not I'm not you so I don't generally shit on men but I think genuinely groups of teenage boys should not be allowed together mm. and I think they make like school situations, horrible, fucking horrific. horrible. Her- like I, I said, I knew it's like, and I was a man. He wasn't a fucking teenage boy, but I knew there and then. I was like, I do not want to be surrounded yeah. by you, cunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like made that. So I remember saying to my mom, I do not want to go to a mixed school. Well, that was great that you got that. That was an opportunity, a chance like, because we were we were co- mixed co-ed like, and I think that was the thing as well for me is I I honestly had no interest in boys. I'm not in like, I wasn't attracted to people. I just was like, this does not interest me. I do not trust any of you. I've seen how horrible you are to other people. It was this boy in our class and he didn't have a lot of money. They just made his life misery because they knew his family weren't wealthy. I was in school with a lot of farmers. Who had money. Who had money. Yeah. It's only when I look back at it now that I can see it. Just they used to make fucking shit of this guy. I was just thinking about it the other day and I was like, oh, I don't know. I just didn't give, like, I did want, like, I was good at making friends. I've never not been good at yeah, making you're friends. Yeah, you And friends. I'm good at, like, being sociable. You're incredibly sociable. I'm really bad at, like, keeping long-term friends. Yeah, but you're different. Like, I, cu- I couldn't do that in a big group. I couldn't have, like, a group. Oh, yeah, group. no, we don't have that. I always say that about us. Like, we don't have, that like. seems like so much energy. You know, like, the group chat with 14 people. No. And there's 12 of us going on holidays. I'm like, who, how yeah. do you know, how do you yeah. keep this up? Like, sometimes when I see you talking in that group chat with, like, Ashton and all, yeah, yeah. that's, like, my worst nightmare. Just being in a group chat. When anybody adds me to a group chat, this is the truth. You mute it. I leave. Yeah. I don't even mute it. Flavio Just immediately up below it goes, Sarah James left. I see Flavio. Flavio's in tons of group chats, and he has all of them muted, except for, like, one that with his really close friends. But he's like, people just add, like, don't add me to group chats. Like, Ashling and Stephen Carey, that's perfect, Michelle. Because we just talk about random shit, you know what I mean? But, like... Yeah, I'm. We're not, but we're not those people. We're not the people. What like, you know, thirteen of us are going to Ibiza. I. Do, how do you know thirteen people? How do you keep up a relationship with thirteen people? This is not me. How do you do? And sometimes I'm quite envious of it because I'm like, that must be nice. Because sometimes when you're not around, he's not around. I'm like, oh yeah. And then I, think, I, I get real jealous. So sometimes when you're like, I'm messaging you, but like I'm in town, I'm like, when you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> because you have a life. I know you have and like, a child. Yeah, and like, a if 
but like in my head I'm like fucking stupid bitch. no because I'm like you have a child and a husband I, I, I don't, don't want to be like with these motherfuckers why don't you bring me with you but no sometimes I'm like I do envy people who, but then other times I'm like no I can't do this like 11 people in a group chat and you're like do you want to hang out on Thursday no sometimes like Leslie in particular Leslie's really good at being like a social butterfly and I'm good at being like a social person in social settings yes but what I am not good at is like making like when people want to be a friend afterwards no the intensity so like it, when people want to be friends afterwards and they like make that like sometimes Tiernan will message me and he'll ask me questions and I'm just like I don't talk don't talk like I fully understand and I get, I get um, my thing is I don't want to talk because I don't want to have to explain all the background of like why yeah. I'm saying what I'm saying because yeah. we're not friends that's the thing it's just like a comfort in the people that you know and that you're like you know everything about this I don't need to yeah sometimes even great like I feel bad for Graham if I have to explain something and you're like <sighs> eye twitching today I had to explain to Graham four times in a row what I meant by cooking out tomato puree <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh god bless him I was like did you cook out the tomato puree and he just kept it was like that scene in fucking Schitt's Creek where they're like folding the cheese folding the cheese David yeah. he was like David folding like, the I, cheese I don't know what you mean and I was like <laughs> you have to put it in a place in the pot where nothing else is so you have to make space for it and then cook it by itself in the pot on the heat to cook it out and he was like what do you mean cook it out that's <laughs> like it's just like you remove the intensity of the flavour and it mellows so therefore you can introduce it to the rest of the dish I'll ask you this how is he meant to know that how is he meant to also, know that also just the description I gave of the reason why you would need to do it never happened between us I just kept going <laughs> cook it out <laughs> cook it out just cook it out tell me your mouse story before I forget oh okay yeah so last night we had uh, so I've had a mouse in my house for about two weeks now and That's I have been of a bitch back. unable to no the other ones are all dead okay we have a mouse infestation in our back garden I think and I cannot figure out oh, how these dirty little fuckers are getting into my house yes. and they are oh, tiny field mouse they're, they're coming in for warmth yeah. yeah they're not like big, big mice they're yeah, tiny yeah. field mouse um, so anyway I've gotten better at dealing with it okay that's good um Last night we were sitting and the trap went off under the sink. Dogs were down fucking seconds. Like, get it, get it, get it. Mm. Graham went in, was like, opened the press. Lily had her headphones on. We were sitting on the sofa. I didn't even go upstairs. I was really good. I just stayed and I was like, um, and he was like, that's dead. Now, Lily is obsessed with us not killing things. Oh, no. So he was like, that's D-E-D. Yeah. And I was like, right, okay. And he was like, I'll wait for a bit to take it out because. And then he just went over and took it out like really quietly and put it in the bin and then brought the bin out yeah. the front. Then a little while later, snap. Another one. Another one. But this one, just its leg was trapped. Oh no, what did you do? 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 <laughs> Me, Graham and Lily were all sitting down watching telly and it was getting close to bedtime. So like I said to Graham, Graham was like, if I take it out and it gets out of trap, she's going to fucking lose her shit. She's going to lose it. And he was like, and if I take it, the dogs keep trying to fucking get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, if I take it out and then I can't control it and the dogs oh. try to get them. He was like, so... I was like, me and Lily are going to go to bed and I had to do research for the story. And anyway, so I was like, me and Lily will go to bed. So I let Lily get into bed. She doesn't normally sleep with me, but she got into bed with me. And then all of a sudden I heard like a massive commotion downstairs. 
and Graham came up and he was like the mouse was still alive obviously he took it out and he went he was like he was like Sarah I couldn't <coughs> kill it I know I don't blame him so he was like I'm, I brought it out the back I was gonna let it go the dog's got it <laughs> Lucille just jumped up and like snapped it out of his hand and then like was like yeah like he was like fucking killed it and I was like what and he was like and then she kept going back to it so she kept going back and like touching it with her nose and and being like come on and then he said cookie shit herself like the bulldog the big bulldog was like what the fuck so cookie like shit herself and Lucille but he was like Lucille fucking lost it Lucille couldn't like stop herself he said like Lucille like jumped about two foot and just grabbed it out of his hand and then fell to the ground and then like so he was like it was dead then but then he was like I didn't want the dogs eating it two in the same night yeah no we Emma we've caught three in the same night at the one point what the fuck is going on so I think it's the next door neighbours but how are they getting in so I don't know because Graham's blocked up all of the holes so the only thing I think of is there's like a cavity between my kitchen and their kitchen could be that I can't see because behind the presses could be yeah 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 um, but like I've tried I like everything is blocked up now the other thing is that quite often Graham leaves the back door open to let the dogs go in and out and it is that time of year and our, their dog food is right at the back door so like you could just get them like coming in and then being like making their way over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't because the one that was that we couldn't catch rages that we just caught kept going like when we would see it, it was going over to the back door to try to get out. Okay. So I sent Graham. They know. How it they, only makes sense that that's the way yeah. it may have came in because that's they're like, oh, that's how I get out. Because yeah. that's how they're getting in. And then the one that came out after that one was tiny, smaller. So I think it had babies. It had babies. Dirty. Fucking filthy animals. Anyway, Lucille's trying to kill them all. Lucille's gone on a fucking mad one. All of my life. Um, I hope everybody had a really nice Halloween. Yes! Did you have got, a good Halloween? I had a wonderful Halloween. Did you? Probably. <laughs> we're filming it, or we're recording oh, we're this, this way before yeah, Halloween. I'm sure it was Trying great. to do the Graham Norton thing. We're going to go, we, were, we we did go for um. Lily Dishroom. did see the fireworks. We did go, we did she go, won't go for see the fireworks, when we got back. Way. Um, and we got Indian food, hopefully. Oh, when are you getting Indian food? <clears throat> in Dishium. Have you? Did you go to Dishium when you were in Edinburgh? No, we were going to, but um, the reservations were all early. Yo, if you're in Edinburgh at any point, go to Dishium. It's an Indian restaurant in Edinburgh, and it is the greatest food I've ever had in my life. It's fucking unbelievably good. And they do these masala beans. Let me tell you, you don't know you're. Doesn't it have a Michelin star? I'm not sure actually, but there's one in London. I think there's one in Leeds as well. So if you're in either of those places, Dishoom, D-I-S-H-O-O-N. Yeah, no, it looked beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, we're going to go. Um, we did go. We went, it was great. We did go. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. The food was amazing. Mm-hmm. They knew I was a podcast member and they gave me free food. It was a fantastic evening. Thank you very I much. Sponsor us. I would love free food. I, I think free food would be like the best thing ever. Like I, imagine going somewhere there and being like, you're both taken care of. Oh, yeah. That would be so nice. At uh, one time when I was big time bowling, big time bowling, I did that for my family. That's so nice. So it was like we were out for Leon's birthday, and I was like, it's "Don't worry, the bill is sorted, except for the drinks. Take <laughs> your own drinks, but the food is." Sorted. I was like, "The food is sorted, the drinks, however, is fucking bunch of alcohol." Yeah, well, I get that. Like, and then I was like, "Give Leon the money that you were going to pay on this did meal." They? I don't think so. Oh, for fuck's sake! Um, have you any housekeeping? Housekeeping. Yeah. If you have anything going on, thank you to everybody that's continuing to buy our merch. We really appreciate it. Um, but that's it. I don't think anything else happened. Uh, Do I have any apologies to make to anybody? No. 
Not that I know of. Possibly could be, but I don't see them. Did so. you see any? Did, was there anybody complaining? No, but sometimes people will be like, hey, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I better talk about that. But nothing has been said to me, so. Oh, okay. Could be coming, though. It's coming. Could be coming. Usually every third episode we make a when, real balls when, of When it. do you think the people are going to cancel us? What's well, your, you know what I your, feel about that? age for being cancelled? And they can't cancel you. Can't cancel anybody? No. See these people who are like I'm being cancelled You're still fucking talking You're still talking You have to shut the fuck up Jordan Peterson is one of these people That quite often shut up Jordan Being like, I, like I've been cancelled And I'm like Motherfucker You sold out the three arena You are not being cancelled So who's cancelled oh you God. Imagine yeah. yeah Imagine yeah. You know somebody that's gone Yeah Imagine your boyfriend if your boyfriend went to the Jordan Peterson dump him. convention Dump I, him like, Honestly do you need to speak to somebody Dump him Dump him Get rid of him Dump him. Are you fucking kidding me? Get rid of him, dump him. Um, um, oh man. That's, like, Jordan that's, Peterson's that's constantly incredibly being incredibly like, depressing. I've been cancelled. And I'm like, uh, can we just you? say, uh, everything you need to know about Kanye West right now is a bunch of neo Nazis standing over a bridge, bridge in LA dropping a sign that's saying Kanye was right about the Jews. And um, Balenciaga have dropped him and Adidas need to drop him ASAP. Adidas ASAP. came out and said that they're reviewing his contract. Um, so I believe he must have like some form of like, did he's you got, see like, that video air, yeah he was like Adidas ain't going to get rid of me I think he's got an airtight he's like, clearly got an air, airtight which contract. would just tell me can I just say if he's got an airtight like contract <coughs> or whatever pay the fucking money just pay him off get rid of him you are mangling your see, brand he's talking about time. buying that um, he bought it a parlour he bought it the app yeah yeah he bought it he's already like did his first post I just can't anymore with them and the fact that Kim Kardashian is out hanging around with Ivanka Trump and going for drinks with her and all this shit and everybody just seems to be A-okay with all of this. Does Kim Kardashian hang around with Ivanka Trump? She literally was out for dinner with her yesterday. I saw a picture today. Like, these people are... Because she's garbage. And all her family are garbage. Everybody involved in that family is garbage. And these girls have no self-preservation or self-respect. It's the same reason that she married him. It's the same reason that that bollocks has two kids with a guy that is permanently cheating on her. It's the same reason that other one has like 10 kids with that other guy who was riding everything behind her back. And she's now married to a man that was trying to fuck her sister for 10 years. They have no self-respect because their mother brought them up to be items and not human beings. Like you can see it. Anyway, fuck the Kardashians and fuck Kanye West. Yeah. yeah Hey you know if you do If you're like Missing the fact that You can't listen to Kanye West Because I will say That his old albums are Fantastic Listen to Q-Tip He's better Much better Listen to Most Death I can Death. fix all your problems Listen to Most Death Just block Kanye I blocked I muted Kanye ages ago On my Spotify anyway So I can't see Any of his music He came on the other day On my Spotify <coughs> And I was like No You can mute him You go to his page And click the three dots And be like Do not play And it'll mute him Oh that's good I've muted so many artists That way And then I'm like I don't want to hear this shit Turn it off Mostly music that I'm just not, not bad people, just music that I'm like, I don't want to listen to this. If Demi Lovato comes up one more time on my Spotify. Why do you keep calling it on your Spotify? Because I listened, I know what it is, because I listened to that Paramore song. The new one. The new one, which I like. This is yeah. and I, uh, that's, I, I don't like Paramore. House. I think fair play to them, whatever they're doing. But I like that song. But ever since I listened to that song, I keep getting that fucking Demi Lovato one. And I'm like, I can't, this is, what is this? So I had to mute her as well. I don't know who she is. And I had I to mute know. Ariana Grande. Because I listen to Paramore. That's what that sounds like. Do you know what Ariana Grande that's sounds what that like? That sounds to me. like lads. When Sims sing. Yes. Yes. That's exactly. Lily starts to play the Sims. And I've never been prouder. The new one is like free, Flavia. Yeah, that's why she's playing it. Yeah, yeah, But she's getting very annoyed about the fact that she doesn't know how to use the controllers. And her and Graham just keep fighting about it. And yesterday evening, I was like, Linny was sitting on the sofa and she was like, I've had a really good day. And I was like, oh, I'm glad you had a good day. And she's like, 
I didn't fight with dad today. They're the same person, that's why. I was like, They're literally the same person, I that's like, why. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with the two of you? Yeah, it's the same person. Yeah, literally, and dad was, and Graham was like, yeah, I spoke to her this morning and I was like, you know, I'm really sorry when I get annoyed in the mornings and I'm just not a good morning person and that's not okay. And I was like, you do realise that child is just going to use that against you? 1000%. Like, that's what kids do, man. She is just going to manipulate the shit she out of you. And we're like, oh really? Let's, yeah. let's play that game, shall it's we? Like, um, yeah. But that's everything. Do you want to do your story? Hey, Colin, tell us about the Patreon. Sure thing, Lily Pops. Hey there, MMI fans. It's me, Colin, and do I have news for you. It's all going down over at www.patreon.com forward slash Irish, where we've totally revamped our Patreon offering for you mega fans. That's right. Now all of your favorite Patreon stuff can be found in one place as we bring you our MMI Super Show exclusively for Patreon, featuring all the usual banter and chat between Emma and Sarah Jane, plus me thrown into the bargain, along with Lily's Tales, Maximilian's Bell Bag, and some surprises along the way. But that's not all. Every single week, due to popular demand, we will be bringing you a full-length story, whether it be Miscellaneous Most Irish for those cases that just don't fit on the main show, Murder Most international for those cases you guys have been crying out for or even music most awesome where we talk about our favorite albums but wait there's even more how about mmi drive the fan favorite podcast show where emma and sarah jane drive around dublin talking about all sorts of shite plus our monthly ask me our segment where you get to pick the brains of the girls and maybe even ask me a question or two so what are you waiting for come on over to www.patreon.com for forward slash murder most Irish and join in the fun for only six euros a month give my mommy six euro I'm gonna do my story do story my story has been inspired by you me? yeah I've gotten a little goo on me for revolutionary women oh okay fair enough because of Bernie uh, because of Bernie um, Bernie come on our podcast we'll drink imagine that I would love to spend <coughs> time she, with she won't come on here no, we add no value to anything. We add no value to this woman's life. But um, I'm going to talk about Sheila Humphreys this week. Who I told you Sheila, a little Sheila, bit about. Sheila, Sheila, um, Sheila, Sheila. Now, this story goes into like other stories. Um, Sheila has been around. Uh, she was in the 1916 Rising. She's just fucking badass. And actually, I Come think on, Sheila. I'm going to just do... Uh, badass revolutionary women awesome uh, for the next couple of weeks and I think I'm going to make um, <coughs> prints oh cool okay of all of the people we talk about so I started to do Bernadette already so sounds like a plan Stan and now I'm going to do Sheila Sheila Humphreys was born in Limerick into a wealthy family and raised at Quinsborough House County Clare Sheila she was the only daughter of Dr. David Humphreys Humphreys and Nell Humphreys which is Mary Ellen Rahiley which was her maiden name isn't that mad that her name is <coughs> her name became Nellie Humphreys but her actual name is Mary Ellen Rahali which I think is just Riley Riley alright oh, okay um, her father Rahali. suffered from tuberculosis and died when she was four years old and her mother was the sister of Michael Joseph the O'Reilly so Michael Joseph the O'Reilly is a very famous person in the 1916 rising okay which I just think is cool because his name is D O'Reilly the O'Reilly who was killed during the 1916 Easter Rising. Her two brothers, Emmett and Dick, attended Pierce Street Enda's school and Dick served alongside D'O'Reilly in the GPO in 1916. 
The family moved to 19, to 54 Northumberland Road, Dublin in 1909 and Sheila attended Mount Anvil Secondary School where she was head girl and became a <coughs> fluent Irish speaker. Oscalga. Um it's she's one of the few like she in that time frame it's really not common for women to continue on in secondary school. Yeah, of course, school. yeah. The Irish language for Sheila was far more than a weapon of of or memorial card. It was not linguistic fanaticism that made her wish to be sent to prison in 1977 for failing to pay her television license. Stop! Yeah, she went to prison out of like, that she was like, this is not acceptable. That's hilarious. Because of the paucity of the Irish language content... So she went, she refused to pay her TV license because there was no Irish being spoken. Good woman, Sheila. So you think a TG car didn't start to what, 1993? Yeah. TG Carr was years later, yeah. So when we talk about TG Carr, TG Carr is the only station in, in Ireland that it's is funded Irish. by Fianna Gael. Yeah, and it's fluent Irish. And it's fluent Irish. Um, so she refused to pay her TV license um, because they didn't have the Irish language so in 1977 for failing to pay her television license because of the paucity of Irish language content but it was due to cultural devotion 1916 Sheila Humphreys was told to bring her four young cousins for a walk so I'm going back in time on in 19 Easter 1916 Sheila Humphreys was told to bring her four young cousins for a walk on Sandy Mount Strand while their father the O'Reilly bid a final farewell to his pregnant wife before heading out to the GPO to face certain oh, deaths. Oh no. This is a quote directly from Sheila. I went over to my uncle's T.R. Eilies in Herbert Park to see what was happening. He was married to an American heiress. Oh, wow. Mm. He was getting in his putties. He was getting his putties on. So that's like their like uniform. Shoes? Oh, uniform art. They wore putties with the uniform in those days, the volunteer uniform, and he was going out. Although he had been against it with Owen McNeil, he thought the time was right, that it might be better to wait till after the war and the men came back from the trenches, and that they'd all join in. But as he said himself when he had been in it from the very beginning, that they that when they decided to go ahead, he joined them. Okay. So T.R. was not actually... Um, he was a member of the Irish uh, the IRA so the Irish Republican Army yeah. he was a freedom fighter and he was a big part of like the rising um, but actually what he was, what he did do is he trained soldiers okay. that's what his job was in the, in the army he was preparing to go out and I didn't want to be there when he was saying goodbye to his wife so she knew that he was going to die, to die. more than likely so I took the youngest lad for a walk we saw my uncle driving a car, which was a D. Dion car, which you would love. Google them. They're so pretty. What are they? A D. Dion. Like Celine Dion. See it there? A D. Dion car. D-E-D-I-O-N. D. Dion car. <coughs> and he was driving down in full uniform and he saw us and waved to us. She was only 16 at the time and watched him pull off. Pull on his finest officer's boots knowing that as co-founder of the volunteers and director of the military operations, he more than likely would never return. It proved to be the most single influential moment of her life. That's so sad. Imagine watching something and going, I know you're going to go off to die now and there's like nothing Nothing I can do do with it. Michael Joseph O'Reilly, Michael Shosha O'Reilly, was 
is, was born on the 22nd of April 1875 and lived until the 29th of April 1916. Known as D. O'Reilly, he was an Irish Republican nationalist and he was a founding member of the Irish Volunteers in 1913 and served as the Director of Arms. So, like, this family is deeply steeped in, like, arms running. They right. all spoke French, German, Irish. I take it these people were wealthy. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, they lived in, like, they're all from Herbert Park or Balls yeah. Bridge or Dublin 4. Like, yeah, they're from wealthy parts of Dublin, which I think probably leads itself more to the validity of, like, these weren't, like, uneducated people. They yeah, were, that's like, what I'm thinking, because yeah. they were learning languages. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and so it led more to the validity of the idea of the Republic. And I yeah. think it probably led more to the fact of why we won. Yeah. Um, so he served as director of arms despite opposing the action. So he didn't believe in like, he didn't want violence. He took part in the Easter Rising in Dublin and was killed in char- in a charge on a British machine gun post covering the re- retreat from the Dublin GPO during the fighting. Okay. Easter Monday, 24th of April, 1916, despite his efforts. So he had been in Cork the day previous and was trying to prevent this like movement from happening. From happening. Which he felt he could only lead to defeat. So he was like, we are going to die. Fuck. He set out to Liberty Hall to join Pierce, James Connolly, Thomas McDonough, Tom Clark, Joseph Plunkett and Countess Markovich, Sean McDermott, Eamon Kiant and Irish volunteers and Irish citizens army troops. Arriving in his DD on Bouton motor car, he gave one of the most quoted lines of the rising. Well, I've play- I've helped wind up the clock. I might as well hear it strike. Another famous, if less quoted, line was his comment to Markovich. It is madness, but it is glorious madness. His car was used to fetch supplies during the siege and later as a part of the barricade on Prince Street, where it was burned. He fought with the GPO garrison during Easter. One of the first British prisoners to be taken in the GPO was a second lieutenant, A.D. Charmers, who was bound with telephone wire and lodged in a telephone box by the young volunteer captain and IRB activist Michael Collins. So the very first person to be taken hostage was this British uh, prisoner and he was a second lieutenant. Um, And Michal got him. Michael Collins got, got him. Chalmers later recalled of O'Reilly's kindness to him. In a statement to a newspaper reporter, he said he was taken from the phone box after three hours and he was brought up to the O'Reilly, who ordered, I want this officer to watch the safe, to see that nothing is touched. You will see no harm comes to him. They put him in the safe and he positioned an officer to be like, nothing's to happen to this young man. And pretty much saved his life and protected him. On Friday 28th of April, the GPO on fire, O'Reilly volunteered to lead a party of men along a route to Williams Woods, a factory on Great Britain Street, which is now called Parnell Street. A British machine gun at the intersection of Great Britain and Merce Street cut him and several of the others down. O'Reilly slumped into a doorway on Merce Street, wounded and bleeding badly. But hearing the English marking his position made a dash across the road to find shelter in Sackville Lane, which is now O'Reilly Parade. It's now named after him. He was wounded diagonally from the shoulder to the hip. So he literally was like... fuck! Blistered in bullets. Oh, gee. Like, like, yeah, basically in half. Yeah, pretty much like right across his body down to his hip. 
um, to the hip by sustained fire from the machine gun. So it was a machine gun that hit him. So it was like one of those guys in the turrets. Oh, fucking. Yeah, yeah. That thing. Yeah. Dude, could you imagine the pole? And yeah. Oh, my God. According to an ambulance driver, Albert Mitchell, in a witness statement more than 30 years later, O'Reilly still clung to life for 19 hours after being severely wounded. Long after the surrender had taken place on Saturday afternoon, the following is an extract. While driving through Merce Street to Jervis Street, so Jervis Street used to be a hospital. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So you know the way the side of that building looks like Rene Edwardian? Yeah. That was the hospital. Oh, very good. Um... One afternoon towards the end of the week, the sergeant drew my attention to the body of a man lying in the gutter in Mur Lane. He was dressed in a green uniform. I took the sergeant and two men with a stretcher and approached the body, which appeared to be still alive. We were about to lift him up when a young English officer stepped out of a doorway and refused to allow us to touch him. I told him of my instruction from HQ, but to no avail. When back in the lorry, I asked the sergeant what was the idea. His answer was, he must be someone of importance and the bastards are leaving him here to die of his wounds. It's the easiest way to get rid of him. Jesus. We came back again at nine o'clock that night. The body was still there and an officer was still guarding it. But this time I, fan- this time I fancied I knew the officer. He was not the one I met before. I asked why I was not allowed to take the body and who was it? He replied that his life and job dependent dependent on it being left there okay he would not say who it was and I never saw the body again but I was told by different people that it was the O'Reilly immediately after Easter so he died he obviously died died on the street immediately after the Easter Rising had ended the British military raided the houses of people who they thought were involved in the Rising or who were sympathetic to the volunteers Nell Humphreys, the sister of the O'Reilly, was arrested in one raid. So Nell Humphreys is the mother of Sheila. Right. So T the O'Reilly is Sheila's uncle. Right. Um, was arrested in one such raid in early May 1916. Nell lived on Northumberland Road and her two sons, Richard and Emmett, and her daughter Sheila, lived there with her. Yeah. Richard had fought in the GPO during the Rising and he was arrested at the surrender. Nell was taken, so like they arrested her, his mother. So the mother was taken out. So they took Nell out and they had arrested so many people that there was no room anymore in Kilmainham Jail or Mount Jail. I remember that they were just taking everybody that was in any So they held her in RDS. You know, RDS is where like the show jumping is on. In Paul's Bridge. Because they had no cells, she was locked in a horse box every night or every day and then they would take her out of the horse box at horse box at 10pm and then they would march her home what? and she was allowed to sleep in her bed and then the like police or the military would be positioned outside her house and then they'd wake her up the next day and bring day her back to the horse and box and bring her back to the horse box what in the name of god so now her daughter Sheila recalls so there, I, I linked all of these but there's loads of great footage of like Sheila talking about yeah. this so they would march her home in the middle of the street with soldiers on both sides so she would be marched like up the street um, Nell Humphreys was transferred to Richmond Barracks some days later and was also imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail so she was then imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail in the woman's section right but um, Sheila did say that like when she was in the horse box like the British people who were positioned to like or not even they're probably Irish they're probably in the free state just to check on her um, and see if she was there 
No, no, no. They were probably in the free state that was on the English side, is yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, they, like, the, there was, like, a young guy and he used to, like, bring her chocolate and stuff. But she was like, I wasn't hungry, but I didn't want to be rude. And the chocolate was, like, in his pocket with no wrappings, but I used to take it off him. Oh, my God. Like, so it did seem, like, it, feel, it felt like the sense of, like, at the time when all of this was going on, that, like, almost, like, the soldiers knew that there was, like, an injustice yeah, and how unfair it but was. But they were just doing, unfortunately, as they say, doing their job. So... The Battle of Mount Street Bridge was fought on the 26th of April 1916. So we're still in the Easter Rising. Yeah. Between the British Army and the Irish rebels during the Easter Rising. It took place in Dublin at the southern end of Mount Street Lower where it meets the Grand Canal. On the 24th of April 1916, Easter Monday, after Eamon de Valera headed his volunteers contingent into Bolan's Bakery. Another group of 17 volunteers were sent to secure the Dunleary Road to... Dunleary Road to stall the anticipated British reinforcements. So, like, one of the areas that's, like, really famous during the Rising is they took this... Boland's Bakery had, like... It was a massive mill. It was right in the centre of town. And they were like, that's our stronghold. That's what we're going to take. That's what we're going to take. Okay. Um, but to stop the British, like, advancing, they also tried to take Dunleary Road to stall the reinforcements, like, getting to them. Right. The 17 volunteers were distributed around Mount Street Bridge. 25 North Dublin Road was initially occupied by four volunteers, although two were dismissed home for being too young. Four volunteers occupied the parochial hall and seven volunteers held Clan William House and two two more were stationed in the schoolhouse. On the 26th of April, a female dispatcher informed that nearly 2,000 British soldiers had landed at Dunleary and that the Robin Hood Battalion, the 7th Battalion Sherwood Fosters, were heading towards them. 2,000? 2,000 British soldiers. Shit. The advanced British stopped at Carisbrook House and learned about the volunteers' presence in the area, responding to sniper fire. The column came under fire from the two men in 25 Northumberland Road and it took the British five hours of continued firing to dislodge them from the building. Volunteers in, to, in the other buildings nearby also shot at the exposed British fo- forces and the volunteers held the British brigade against British forces for up to nine hours. The battle resulted in the biggest loss to both the British army and the rebels during the uprising with at least... 26 to 30 British soldiers fallen and some 134 were wounded. While four volunteers were killed in action, Dick Murphy, George Reynolds, Michael Malone and Patrick Coyle. Sheila was in one of these buildings. Okay. So Sheila is, see that there's a a sentence that um, Bernadette Devlin, like a comment that someone in the House of Commons made about her where they were like, you're you're always you're not the, you're not the start you're not the reason the trouble is happening but you always seem to be there yeah this lady she's just just like turning up when it's always, going down always always around to be there so this is her um statement or her like comment so around about one o'clock in the day we heard the noise of marching men and looked out and here we saw as we thought the whole british army was coming in they were marching along quite unconcernedly they hadn't been fired upon until then and the men in number 25 waited until they got to the junction of Haddington Road and Northumberland Road and they opened fire on them. Some of them fell dead, others threw themselves on the ground. They didn't know where the firing was coming from. And then, of course, after that, they didn't march. They actually crept on their tummies along the road. 
Colin Fane was wounded and he came out. Oh yeah, so this is her. She says, Colonel Fane was wounded and he came out with, I don't know whether it was his sword or not, but he came out and tried to rally the soldiers. And so Rini, although at the time he wanted every British person to be shot, you couldn't but admire him when he came right out into the middle of the street again and got them together. So he was like corralling them on. So he like came out and was like, come and get me, come and get me. And he was trying to get them all to the one place. But even her language, like she wanted these dead. She didn't care. No, clearly. She wanted them all dead. Yeah. It would have been between half six and seven. It was still bright when they made an almighty rush. And then they got up the steps and they threw a bomb at the door. And we heard, she's in this building. And we heard an explosion and we saw a bright light and we knew it was the end for the, end of those two so there was two people positioned at the door the British then like took over the building and this just gets me about her so they were like you need to get out of this building right. and the British almost assumed that she'd been like held hostage and she hung her she was the last person to leave the building because she was trying to let them she was trying to let get them to let her get in the basement so she could get her bike and cycle home <laughs> I love her so she was like, I, and then they were like, no, it's not safe. And People she was being like, massacred outside. Like, um, <laughs> after the death of her beloved brother, she continued on in her education. And Sheila spent a year in Paris between 1919 and 1920. She joined the Coman Naban in 1919, age 20, which was an organization that was founded in response to very few women at the Sinn Féin convention of October in 1917. Humphrey served variously as secretary, director of publicity, national vice president. She was on the committee of the Irish Volunteer Dependence Fund after the rising, and she was engaged in finding safe houses for those on their own. Their family home at 36 Aylesbury Road was used as an IRA safe house throughout the War of Independence, but it also had a secret room built right in the middle of it. And that was where the, like... IRA's head office used to sit so like um, Ryan Tuberty's granddad used to be in there oh I remember that he was talking he talked about that before yeah yeah so Ryan Tuberty's granddad was heavily involved in the revolution and was involved in like the (sighs) he was like and then her husband was the head like he was the person that was organising the arms right so her and her husband were actively gun runners gun runners yeah um the family house in 36... It's really sad, but... The family house in 36 Ellsbury Row was used as an IRA safe house throughout the War of Independence. It's now the Embassy of France. It's now That's the French crazy. Embassy. The doll cabinet had quickly <laughs> had weekly meetings and frequently used the big house on the Ellsbury Road. So, like, the doll members used to sit in there as well. There was another house on Herberton Road, and I remember it being across from the Irish Stiller's head office. Okay. And that was heavily used during the War of Independence as well. And for some reason, we didn't protect it. It's not, It was knocked down. Oh. And we built on it. I just think it's a shame. Yeah, because most of the houses are protected. Yeah, most it's of the like... Most houses are protected, yeah. The ministers like Robert Barton, the embryonic republic, was, so, was protected by a hard shell of army and politicians. But this did not prevent women in the movement being arrested. When Ernie O'Malley was captured at the Humphreys home in 1922, she, Sheila was one of the, was one of those imprisoned. Her cell is still scribed, still scribed at the graffiti in Kilmainham jail. Sheila had spent most of 1923 in this cell. So she was put in solitary confinement for about 30, for about three months as well. Wow. Um, oh shit. 
Um, and the, the jail was closed the following year. And I actually, I put a link on this document and added it to our MyDocs. We might put it on the Patreon because there's a, there's a link to like a fantastic video, which has like one of those old worldly like, today in Ireland, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, of Eamon de Valera going to visit Kilmainham Jail on the day it's closed. Wow. Which I just think is amazing. Um, and the commentary is so bizarre. The commentary is like, but the Irish have little to worry about now. <laughs> since they've got such a great president, Damon de Valera. Um, and then it's like, they're a jolly folk. And it's like, ends. Um, so she was arrested in the home in 1922. And she was one of those imprisoned. Her, imprisoned. her cell is still scribed with her graffiti in Clemenum Jail. Sheila had spent most of 1923 in this jail, in this cell before the jail was closed the following year. And the messages scratched into the wall, um, showed like severe patriotic rage and show similar to the way her great or her uncle O'Reilly. So her uncle O'Reilly, this is so insane. While he was lying dying in the gutter in Merstry, had written like in blood, in his own blood, a note to his family on a Rizla paper. Right. That was literally like... In his own blood. In his own... Because he was lying on the street and they wouldn't give him anything and no one had talked to him. So he'd written in his own blood and it was literally like, I love you and I love... Because his wife was pregnant. Oh! Um, The cell of um, Sheila's cell in Kameem Jail is not one that you can visit because you know the way you can visit some of them. Um, it's closed off, but her grandson, who I spoke about in last week's episode, Mansion Mankin, has spent time in there reading and documenting his grandparents, his grandmother's step. So they let him in there? Yeah. yeah. She'd written behind a pipe, tunnel begun in basement of laundry, inside door at left, may be of use to my successor. Good luck, S. So she like started to dig a tunnel to get out of the prison. Fuck! She then wrote, Ni Shikan go short, go short, Ni Shikan Goshersha, no peace until freedom. And then on Publuk Abu, which I think is the Republic lives. Yep. Humphreys took part in the nationwide 1923 Irish hunger strike. And she was finally released on 29th of November 1923 after 31 days on hunger strike. So she starved herself for 31 days. Jesus. I'm going to talk about the Battle of Aylesbury Road because that's what she went to Kilmainham Jail on this occasion for. But she spent time in Kilmainham Jail, Mountjoy Jail, like over periods of her history. But she would always spend time for like activism. This time when she went to Kilmainham Jail, she went to Kilmainham Jail because she did kill somebody. Oh, Jesus. She never commit. She never admits that she did. But so this is called the Battle of Aylesbury Road and there is an hour and a half long documentary called The Struggle which was made in like 1996 or 1993 by Manchat Mangan and Rory Mangan who are her grandsons. Right. Um, do, but they, do they think she killed someone? They, like he was like I know she killed someone. Okay, perfect. Right. Um, and he asked her Already, oh, he? yeah, but she was like, no, I'll, yeah, I'll, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you about it when I tell the story. So O'Malley was captured again after a shootout with the Free State soldiers at the family home of Nell Humphreys. So this is her mother's home, right, at Thirty Six Aylesbury Road in Donnybrook area of Dublin City on the fourth of November, nineteen twenty-two. He was severely wounded in the incident, being hit over nine times. Three bullets remained lodged in his back for the remainder of his life. A free state soldier named Peter McCartney was also killed in the gunfight 
and Sheila is presumed to be the one to have shot him. Ah, okay. Anne O'Reilly, who lived in the house, was also accidentally shot by O'Malley. So Anne O'Reilly, who's the O'Reilly's daughter, was shot by O'Malley accidentally during the raid. During the raid, at that time, only Humphreys, her mother and her aunt were staying in the house with O'Malley. Humphreys played an active part in resisting the raid, though she was all, she always denied reports that she was the res- one responsible for the Free State soldier who died in fighting. He was like 20 years old. He's from Monaghan. Like, he was a baby. Babies. She always said that Ernie O'Malley was a soldier above all. And since 1916, one of the, like, one of the quotes of the 1916 that the party went on to continue to have is soldiers we are. That was like their mantra. Um, was the unofficial national anthem of the Republic. The incident is described in detail in O'Malley's memoir of the Civil War, The Singing Flame. In 2003, the raid was the subject of an hour-long documentary drama entitled The Struggle. The film was directed and scripted by Humphrey's grandsons, Manshan Mangan and Ruan Mangan, and produced by Orti. Humphreys, her mother and her aunt were arrested in the aftermath at the raid of the 4th of November. Sheila was put in solitary confinement and she went on hunger strike and protest. She went on a further hunger strike. So she went on hunger strike in the beginning because she was in solitary confinement and then he took her out. And then she went on a further hunger strike, this time for 31 days, when she was among the prisoners confined after the end of the Civil War in May 1923. But... Like, in that time, like, 16 other people went on hunger strike at the same time. Right, Still severely affected by his wounds, O'Malley was transferred from Portobello Military Hospital to Mountjoy Prison Hospital. And on the 23rd of December... So he was moved from Portobello Military Hospital to Mountjoy Prison Hospital on the 23rd of December, 1922. As he made clear in The Singing Flame, he was in grave danger of being one of the many executed for the armed insurrection against the state and additionally in his case for killing a free state soldier so he was being he was going to be convicted for okay. that soldier that died O'Malley believed that the authorities were waiting for him to recover sufficiently so they could like have an elaborate show trial to take place a scenario in which he would refuse to recognize court so he'd be like I don't care I don't, I'm not, care. I don't recognize yeah. your authority contemporary Republican internee Pater O'Donnell recorded that it was the only intervention of his doctors who insisted that O'Malley was too ill to even be tried that had saved him from execution. However, there also appeared to be official concerns about the public and the international reaction to shooting a man who would have to be carried to execution on a stretcher. So, like, that's how they used to execute Jeez, people then, is they yeah. used to bring them out to co- in the back of Khomeini jail to, like... Stand them up against the wall. And shoot them. It is noted that this worry might have been heightened by the publication of the Irish newspaper, and it, it also appeared in the Times and the New York Times, so they were now taking interest oh, in what was happening. Okay. In January of 1923. It went international. Yeah, of reports about his severe condition. Ultimately, his trial was postponed indefinitely and he was never, like, he never went to court. The Civil War ended with the cessation of hostiles and dumping of arms in May of 1923. But most IRA prisoners were not released until much later. And on the 13th of October, he and many others in Mountjoy Prison went on hunger strike for 41 days. 
in protest at the continued detention of IRA prisoners. After a week, O'Malley and the other senior officers elected members were moved to Kilmainham Jail against his will. He had already been nominated as a Sinn Féin candidate for the Dublin North in the 1923 general elections and held on 27th of August, he was elected the TD. In early January 1924, O'Malley was the last internee moved from Kilmainham. He was transferred to St. Brickens Military Hospital and then to Mountjoy Prison Hospital and later to General Prison. There then came a move to the Curra Camp Hospital in late winter before he was placed in a regular hut by mid-1924. The Free State Government hired strong calls in Parliament for the final release of 600-odd anti-treaty prisoners in the interest of restoring a more normal state of affairs. <coughs> Further pressure came from the organisers of the Taltian Games, which were expected to be which were expected to be attended in early August by tens of thousands of overseas visitors. Despite official reservations, the prisoners began to set free, and though Mali was the very last anti-treaty internee to receive his liberty, he was released from the Cora along with Sean Russell on the 17th of July 1924, well over a year after the end of the hostilities. Wow. Humphreys continued her involvement. So there is a whole backstory as well where there is a saying that Sheila and O'Malley were like romantic. Ooh, they were involved. But Sheila was like, that, like Sheila publicly was like, so there's like, I listened to like an interview where she was like, you didn't have time. Yeah. I'd say and she was like, so also, nice. she was like, we were just interested in the calling. There was nothing else there. She was, was like, just the cause. That but there is like, not evidence, but just like, what's the word where people talk? People talk and rumours. Rumours um, that like, they were like that he... They were boning! Yeah. And in the documentary, funnily enough that... Is that how you sex lemon? It is how I do it. That's how I do it. <laughs> um, in the documentary that her grandsons made about her, they do speak that he spoke in a way that he was attracted to her. Oh, so they he said, that there was something he there. He said that her hair was like a beautiful, oh, she's like got glistening, gold that hair. she had blue eyes that matched the pale blue of her dress. Oh, like the, like the sea. Also, in terms of her being like not the one in inverted commas to kill the free state soldier, she was like a fucking phenomenal shooter. Oh, well, there you go. She was like the best in that, like... Just a quick shot. Yeah, in the group that was like helping like the Sinn Féin, uh, the Sinn Féin women, or Sinn Féin get women in the, in the Sinn Féin party and to become more involved with, with the, um, with the Troubles and the yeah. Rising. Um, she was a crack shot. Oh. And, um, everybody said that she like there wasn't a sport that she was not good at oh Sheila um, she also was like one of the only people in the vicinity where he was shot um, cheated, it? and at the very beginning when they realised that their free state soldiers are there O'Malley uh, yeah O'Malley ha- comes upon them he realises they're there Sheila realises they're there and they go out and they sneak up on them oh. and he she says that Omat like put the fear of God in these like, kids. They were like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he, rather than, she wanted to shoot them. And rather than shoot them, he let them go. Oh. So he was like, go home and let them run off. Oh, okay. But as they ran out the gate, the rest of the Free State soldiers were on the way in. 
shit. So then the jig was up and it became like an all-out shootout. Yeah. Okay. Um, Humphreys continued in her involvement in the Kumanaban after the Civil War, contributing significantly to the Republican movement throughout the 1920s and 1930s. She became the Kuman representative on the Republican Council in 1929. She was in Mountjoy Jail in 1926 and 1927, 1928 and 1931. And in 1928, she went on a six-day hunger strike and was designated a political prisoner. Despite her affluent background, Humphreys was an active in the Socialist Republican organization, Sauer, um, serving as the group's co-treasurer from 1931 to 1934. She resigned the Republican Congress, but her Sinn Féin principles were more important as they had criticised the IRA. So she was like, I'm out. I'm done. Goodbye. Because they, the Sinn Féin then started to like write yeah. this narrative that yeah, they were yeah. like, we were never in we the IRA. We were never in the IRA. Sheila spoke fluent German and French, as did her husband, Donal O'Donoghue, and all of her grandchildren, as she taught all of them how to speak Irish, German, and French. That's amazing. She taught arms smuggling may still be needed in the future, and she told her grandchildren, she was like, this This is is something we've always done, and it's really important that you need to know this language. Hilarious. Because that's how we get them in. She didn't give a fuck. No. Um, To her, those grandchildren were just like to be moulded. Yeah. Both had ties to Germany and both supported arms smuggling for the cause. And there were rumours that Sheila may have assisted in Nazi spies or even a spy herself. There was also rumours that she had a safe house for Nazis. Oh, Sheila. Dr. Margaret McCurtain kindly agreed to accompany Manchant Mangan to the archives to open the intelligent files, which he hoped and also feared might shed some light on this rumour. The fri- files proved to be little more than sparse suspicion. Okay, Grant, good. Machine, on right, scant back. tracing paper. We're back. <laughs> and it was Dr. McCurtain who convinced Manchant that the sympathy for the German for Germany during the World War must not be mistaken for support of the Nazis' policies. And that Sheila's interests were always more towards socialism and nationalism. Now, I will say this. They were fucking blowing up the British. And she did not care. She didn't give a fuck, yeah. Dr. McCurtain further tried to make Manchin comprehend Sheila's continued support for the IRA violence throughout the 1970s and 1980s in the context of the period. So... You can see that, like, her grandchildren really struggle with the fact that she was so devoted to the cause. Yeah, yeah. Um, She used to... I don't know if I've written this anywhere. She used to get him to help her because her eyesight got bad. So he used to transcribe her messages of support to cell block H. Wow. Um, Prisoners. Yeah. And he used to write them on the Rizla papers. That's amazing. And get them, and she used to sneak them in. That's amazing. Um, but he feels really guilty about it because he was like, "I was, I was writing to prisoners that were murdering people." Also, he was a child, and realistically, yeah. her cause is not his cause. No. So she married Donald Donahue, who was born in eighteen ninety seven and died in nineteen fifty seven. He was a member of the Dublin Brigade, Brigade IRA. They had two children, Dara and Crony. Her husband was imprisoned in 1936 for making sedacious speeches. Oh, 
She tried to keep coming going following the president's resignation in 1941 and she briefly served, served as a Kuman Nabon's president. She served as president to the St. Vincent de Paul Society in 1937 to 1975 wow. and also the political prisoners committees until 1949. Although she continued to support the prisoners dependent campaigns necessarily for women between 1951 and 1989, her causes continued to be consistently those of Sinn Féin, anti-EEC, very strongly Catholic, promoting the ma- promoting the mass on television, so she fought really hard for mass to be on TV. Oh, Jesus, really um, All in the Irish language. So she wanted it all in the Irish language. She would later grant- gather her grandchildren to write smuggled letters. Mangan says the after school I would help to write her comms to H-block inmates. The effort of writing these minuscule, easily smuggled letters on cigarette papers would remind me of the struggle that O'Reilly had endured to write his letter in blood as he lay dying. So his letter read, I was shot leading a rush up Mercery. I got more than one bullet, I think. Tons and tons of love, dearie, to you and the boys. It was a good fight, anyhow. Oh, God. I should have just ended that there because it's actually a really good way to end it, but I didn't. Because I'm not a writer. <laughs> O'Donoghue became involved with Clan Anne Problacht on its foundation and stood as Clan candidate in 1948 general election. He died in 1957 and Humphreys continued to live at their home in Donnybrook for many years. And she continued with her activism, as she called it. The home became a safe house for prisoners on the run. With Manchan, so then Manchan and his family moved in, um, remembering her father finding a prisoner in the coal hole. So he found a prisoner in the coal hole in Sheila's granny flat in years later. Oh, she was probably hiding, it, yeah. hiding them, yeah. That was, that was on the run. Whenever anyone with connections to the IRA troubles, Sinn Féin was on the run, special branch would appear at the house to investigate. So they'd always go the to her house. Was, yeah. In 1920s, Sheila set up an organisation called The Ghosts. If you were called for jury duty against the Republicans between the 20s and the 30s, you would get a visit from The Ghosts. They'd be like, shut the fuck up. Sheila would appear like a sweet, harmless woman and she would remind you otherwise. She would knock on your door and tell you that she knew your husband or you were up in jury duty tomorrow against the state and that if they didn't, if it didn't go in the favour of the individual, they'd come back. Jesus Christ. She was an amazing pot shot and she was good at all sports. She died in aged 95 Fuck. at Our Lady's Hospice Harold's Cross on the 14th of March 1994 and she is buried in Glasnevin Cemetery and I really want to go to her yeah, grave. Yeah, let's go. Like I really want to go. Yeah, let's go to her grave. That is the story Excellent of Sheila job. Humphreys. An absolute badass and also a murderer. I think think also, about- she so he asked her when she was like he used to, when she'd be tucking him in. Yeah, she would tell him stories. Barney, did you murder that man? Like, she was like, did you murder anybody? He was like, have you ever yeah. killed anybody? And he would say that she go, oh no, love, I'd never yeah, do yeah, anything yeah, like yeah. that. But like, she absolutely shot that man. <laughs> like she mur- she did kill that man. I get that her house was besieged. And the thing about it is as well, I don't think any of us will properly, pro- properly understand the cause and what these people, like we know what they were fighting for and we understand what they were fighting for. But we weren't in it. No. And we weren't, we grew up in a country where the Republic and obviously the North is a thing, but these people were in 
that shit. So she was like, that was her whole life. She was in everything. That was her whole, to the day she died, that, that was, was her, her whole life. life. Yeah. So it must be odd for her grandsons to be like, she's our granny, but also all this other shit happened. But also me. that guy, that guy, Monchon Mangan, is a fucking lunatic. Piss drinker. Like he's the guy last week that I said drank his own piss. Yeah. Um, he was like, he went on this like other thing where he went to Africa in like 89, 90 and lived on like a truck that brought you across Africa. Oh, wow. It, it paid a thousand pound. So because in, during the like recession in the eighties, because he spoke fluent German, he used to go to Germany, he'd work in like a supermarket in Germany for like six months to make money. Can I ask you a question? And then he'd go backpacking. Man. I get the vibe and yeah. I could be wrong. That Mr. Manchamangan had a lot of money left to him? No. No? He, so his granny left £10,000 oh, to so him. Oh, that's nothing. And that's how he bought that land in in Longford. Ponty Longford! So he was left £10,000 in 1994. Right. He bought 10 acres and then he built the house for £8,000. On the land. Yeah. And then he, he do, like, he speaks openly. He doesn't earn a lot of money. Yeah. Like, so he'll quite often He's just be surviving like, kind of he's thing. He's like, I don't, I want to be self-sufficient. So now the house that he has now, which he said he spent £28,000 building, um, he was like, I I want to be self-sufficient. So, like, the first thing he built was, like, a polytunnel. He's got pigs. He's got chickens. Oh, nice. Um, he tries as very much. He's got solar panels. He tries to live off the oh, land. Okay. Um, He just... I like don't get me wrong I'm sure there's money in his family yeah but he doesn't appear to have any a lot of money okay and his brother Ruan is used to be a fit well I don't know if he still is but he's like works in the film industry so he works on like The Devil's Own what was that terrible movie with like Nicole Kidman and and Tom Cruise that was set in Ireland oh fuck what was that film people are roaring at us who cares it's shite no, I have to look that up now. I can't remember what it's called. Um, he worked on that. And then what happened, this is completely like not side topic, but ma- that guy, Manchat Mankin, as I said, was trying to find enlightenment. Right. And so he was, also he was working, when he's trying to find en- enlightenment, I'm not making this up, he's working in a leper colony in India. Far and away. Far and away. Far and away! He used to go down to the lepers. So he was like saying like leprosy is like fully treatable and you can fully be like right. cured. But he was like in India in the time he was there, he was like it was more beneficial to have leprosy because there were so many charities that were helping. He was like oh, wow. you'd get full room and board and food yeah, and yeah. you'd be looked after. He was like uh, my job was to like give them the medication okay. and he was like and they would refuse to take it because they because didn't they want were to be getting... cured. So they were like well, if I'm cured I've nowhere to I live. I to go. So um, he was working in a leprosy colony. He used to have to go every 10 days to give them their medication. And then he was living in like a farmhouse up in the mountains. And there was, um, he was going into all these caves to try to find this cave that gave him enlightenment and right. that he could meditate in and get the... But he said he didn't meditate, he'd just walk around. Um, there was a <laughs> mountain lion that was eating people so he couldn't sleep outside. But if the mountain lion wasn't eating people, he would have slept outside. Jesus and then he went Christ. down to the nearest town and while he was in the leper colony, he used to fax his mother. Right. And he faxed his mother being like, everything is amazing. I found it. So like, I found enlightenment. Like, I understand everything's connected. And so his mother was like, he has lost his fucking mind. Oh no. So then charged his brother Ruan to go find him. Go get him. So then his brother Ruan, T.G. Cahar just launched. 
like went to TG Cahar and was like, I'll do a traveling show. To go get his brother. But didn't say that's what he wanted it for. And I'm going to go to India and my brother will present it. And then found this fucking piss drinking lunatic in a farmhouse in the mountains. And was like, had to bring him down to the mountains and like clothe him and wash him. Breaking a piss. And then was like, like, what are you on? But he's like, I was very happy. Was he She'll be happy just drinking her own piss. All he day. seemed it, but like he went and did the show and he was on TG Carr. Like you can read his books and you can watch his shows on TG Carr. Um, he's really interesting. I to definitely watch. will look that up now. That's so cool. Also, can I just say there was something I had to apologize for? Go on. We were talking about Mary Berry and we said she had arthritis. She didn't have arthritis. She had polio as a child. <gasps> and that's why her hands are like that. Oh, Mary Berry! Yeah, so just to say sorry, I, did, I didn't realise that that's what had happened to Mary Berry. So yeah, she had polio. It's not mad that vaccinations work. Yeah. Crazy, right? Mad. Fucking Sarah, that was an excellent job. I'm so interesting. And Thank I'm going to look up, I'm going to go to his house and I'm going to say, knock, knock, knock. Knockity, knock, knock. Yeah, he's, um, he's got a book called uh, 32 Words for the Name Field or something like that. Drinking piss. Which is all about language and Irish language. It's actually really fucking interesting. I'm going to go knock on his door and say... Uh, how are you? I don't think he drinks piss anymore. Any piss at all for <laughs> Like, do you want to drink? I'll be like, no. I like to be the only thing we've taken from this is that Just he drinks drinking piss. piss. <laughs> <laughs> this man could be doing anything or we're like, remember when he drank his own piss? We should just call this episode The Irish Revolutionary That Drinks His Own Piss. Drinking piss. <laughs> um, but Sarah, excellent job. I'm definitely going to look up some of that stuff about that guy now and I'm going to ask my man if you know where he lives. Oh, yeah. yeah anyway. Rock up to Mansion Mangan's house. Uh, thanks very much for listening Sarah did a great job we'll be back next week baby next week baby um, nah, 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 baby. see you then and have a lovely week and be good and don't be drinking piss Like Sarah Jane, just free please.